Welcome to the Forging Honor Podcast. I'm Jonathan George. And I'm Benjamin Jones. Here at The Forge, we explore what it means to live as Christian men. Along the way, we'll be doing weekly challenges to build character through action. We are by no means experts, just two young Christian men trying to make sense of a wild world. That's right. We do our best to learn and hope you'll join us on the journey. And if you want to get directly involved, go to forginghonor.com to find information on how to join our community. This is episode 25, Dissecting the Frog. All right, challenge wrap-up time. As a reminder, challenges last for 10 days. That's Monday through Friday for two weeks. There are simple daily tasks to grow us as men. This previous challenge was Banjo's uh, brainchild. Um, essentially, go learn comedy, learn how to tell a joke, uh, study the comedians. Um, Banjo, how'd you do? This this was not uh, this was not far afield for me. I did I did ten out of ten, and joyfully so. This was this was like I I really you know we set the challenges up for ourselves. And my wife usually makes fun of me for it because she's like, how can it really be a challenge if it's something you want to do? This one where I, this was a week where I was like, yeah, she's right. This is, I'm yeah, totally this, this just one for sure. I, I was thinking about it going, I don't know if this one actually hits all of our criteria just because <laughs> it's, I don't know. I don't know how much this grows us as men. I think, I hope, I hope in a good way. Um, I, we'll talk I'm about excited that, to talk about it. I think it's going to be, I think there's a lot to talk about. I have a lot of questions to ask you that I think are going to be interesting i think yeah. we're gonna have at least one fight um oh at least uh which i think should be good but how about you how did you how did you do i did six of the ten um and a few of those days i almost didn't i just almost forgot it, it i'm not like you with this i was not it's not natural for me to go seek this stuff out necessarily so did you um, well sorry you keep going keep going no i go go ahead i was gonna say did you grow up with comedians was this you was this a form that you were familiar with or not particularly uh like uh stand-up comedy um or anything like that like or even like comedy movies i i didn't really grow up with um you know i i think my biggest exposure to comedy was like sketch comedy of of like you know the early 2010s right at, at that age where i guess early like middle school early high school for me where youtube was really starting to blow up at the time that would oh, okay. have been yeah. 2000, mm-hmm. no, 2009, 2010, somewhere in there. My Were you a Vines guy? Uh, yeah, I remember Vines. I loved Vines. Those were I awesome. Didn't do, I didn't do Vines. See, I, so. And I, I didn't do Vines because I, from like, from the age of seven, I was obsessed with stand-up comedians. And so when I saw oh, Vines, I was like, that's not a joke. That's See, like but it, it, it three can seconds. Be. Like, that's the thing. It's like, what makes a joke? Mm-hmm. And so that was part of our study. Yeah. So. I grew up, it wasn't just Vines, but it was, um, did you ever watch uh, ASDF or ASDF as it's called? Just those first four letters on, a, on the middle row of the keyboard. Oh, I, th- I think so. Once or twice. Yeah. They were like these little, um, I mean, that was like peak, was that like eighth grade for me? Like just peak comedy at the time. There were these little stick figure thing drawings that just did mm-hmm. funny stuff. And it was hilarious. Um, I think there... The comedy is more than just like a it's it's more than just a six second blip because there's callbacks and there's ways that it intermingles, but also it is very quick jokes, um, yeah. very rapid fire. So it's definitely different than that. And then the sketch comedy, as I mentioned, um, 
there's just some really great stuff from that era where I mean the, the camera quality terrible you know it's these two whatever college students or high schoolers trying to make this hilarious there's just little things like that that I really enjoyed um were you an uh, SNL guy did you Saturday Night no Live? not, not really SNL um no uh I'd say as far as like the bigger studios go the biggest it ever got for me was like Studio C like the Christian version you know <laughs> like yeah they're not even Christian they're Mormon I think um and so someone's been committed to that you and I had two totally different comedic upbringings then. Mm-hmm. Totally yeah. different. The rest of my comedy that that wasn't like um, on on YouTube was pretty much all books, and then um, I, I just not like joke not even books or like or like no, no 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 like funny like, writers like funny writers like like Wodehouse. Uh, and... Yeah, we had an audiobook of of Wodehouse that we listened to when we drove down the road. Yeah, um, and it was all all the Jeep stuff. I'm trying to think if there's anything else that was particularly humorous. Um, shoot, I should have sat down and thought through some of this a little more as far as authors that have influenced me in that regard. I think but even I th- the way you say that was kind of like, I don't remember anything particularly humorous. It's like, <laughs> it's, it's, it's like you're trying to remember your medical family history. You're like, I, did, I think we had... I think we had a joke back in the 2000s, you know. I had an yeah. uncle who was funny, but <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty much. Well, the, so here's the thing. My family as a whole has cultivated this very dry humor. Okay. And this very like I consider my father to be one of the funniest people I know. Okay. Sitting yeah. around the dinner table, no one's cracking up laughing. It's later we're all like, "Oh, that was hilarious." And we laugh about it, you know, 3 days later because it all right. finally clicks with us what he was trying right. to get across. Mm-hmm. Um and I think he takes he takes joy in that. He takes joy in weaving a joke that requires time to figure out. Right. My grandfather is the same Very way. Very British. It's true. Well, I, I think I think that's part of it. My, um, both he and my mother grew up uh, reading a lot of um, British and then early American authors as well, who, who who were still being influenced by that in some ways. Um, like I I don't know I I find. I, I personally have found like even the works of Lewis to be hilariously funny mm-hmm. and and maybe it's be, like there's something going on there that's different than than a stand-up comedian oh yeah uh, but it, it is Lewis is very funny he's hilarious like Chesterton is even even more like oh I tape say, letters yeah. I laughed out loud multiple times reading that book like yeah. there I was my my young life was not entirely devoid of humor but <laughs> My my <laughs> grandfather. That's how his memoir began. My young life was not entirely devoid of humor. See, and this is so I'm already noticing because you're thinking about stand up, you're immediately mm-hmm. doing what you do, which is I'm doing my bits. Yeah, you want to do your bits. Um, this is, and, and I, I think you, that's that's a big difference. You'll all, you'll always put on a voice. You'll always put on. You always do the stand up bits, and I, I I much prefer to be like just straight deadpan well, to the point. Well, I don't always do do the voice. I think the voice is helpful on the podcast. Fair enough. Um, because it's like, you know, nobody's seeing our faces. And so the voice helps. But like when I'm in class, when I'm teaching my students, uh, my my favorite thing is just to go right by it and do what your dad does and just come across with like a kid will say something and I will say something that none of the, ki- that none of the kids will get. None exactly. of them. And then like one of them at the end of class will get this look on their face like, Wait a minute. Did he 
did he say that like he 20 said minutes that ago? To me. He yeah, said that. Like, exactly. Or what's really funny is this week we're doing a we're doing a unit in sarcasm with my tenth graders, and um, so I've I've allowed sarcasm in the classroom as you know, oh I say if we're if you're using sarcasm, obviously you're you're learning something. Um, which was sarcastic, but um, I did see that SNL bit. <laughs> so that's a, it's a good one. Oh, yeah. Um, Be but more anyway, global. So one of the kids goes. I, I gave some example of sarcasm, and one of the kids goes, "Isn't sarcasm supposed to be funny?" And and then I said, "Like you." And so it was just it's that kind of a thing where the whole just back whole, and forth. Yeah, you back get and into forth. It. And so I I am an eclectic. I I bring a smorgasbord of comedy to the table did you grow up with the Fair muppets enough. at all didn't watch the muppets till i was probably like a senior in high school okay no yeah I, my my comedy upbringing was lacking you could say i'm sorry well, banjo i'm sorry I to have failed of, you so early so young. <laughs> i think of you as a very funny person you know i enjoy our conversations because i laugh i think that's that's part of the deal but Fair i enough. have i have realized that I have a really what's growing to be a niche sense of humor. Like I remember when Vines and when what was the thing that came after Vines? Uh, there was like a there was like a a sequel to Vines that was popular, but it wasn't as good. I can't remember what it was now. Anyway, that like I mean, short, they've everybody's adopted that now with Instagram Reels and right, right, uh, YouTube that, Shorts. That short form humor never appealed to me. Because I was, hmm. I I grew up on this, like stand up, and like SNL. I like I love a good SNL sketch, um, and and all those things. Uh, but I don't think that's a really popular form anymore. Maybe at least a, at least among I'd say like the the younger kids. Like I don't see younger sure. kids getting sure. into it. I don't know about our age. I think there was like probably an upswing with comedians like John Mulaney um, and and guys like him that yeah. are recently coming up that I think got like, that was really in the bloodstream in college, I remember. So that was, did you find, you watched John Mulaney in college? Oh yeah. You, I mean, you found him funny? Uh, again, I didn't seek him out. Um, someone would put him on in a room. I thought he was pretty funny. My issue with, with most stand-up comedians, and it's the same for John Mulaney, is it's um they they cross more lines that i'm generally willing to cross in terms of okay um their content that's it like i get why like they'll make the arguments why they need to why they need to cuss why they need to cross the line to all the sexual stuff etc i get it um i just don't see the need for it because i think there's so much other good humor out there like you don't you don't need to go for pure shock value, right? And, and half right. the time, it feels like if they're doing that, they're using it for the shock value, not because it's actually a good joke. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the you if you if you look at a joke and you break it down, and the punchline is actually the cuss word, it's not a very good joke. Exactly. You know, that's that's not. So that's why I appreciate guys like Jerry Seinfeld or Jim Gaffigan or Brian Regan who put the constraint on themselves of like, I'm going to be a clean comedian. And I'm going to focus on right. that. Right. And they're like, and and because of that, they are. I think they're much funnier. 
because often their jokes are just timeless. You know, it's like, exactly. It's always true that, that this is the case, you know? Right. And I think if you, if you hang your hat on, on making the joke, the curse word, then it's, it's just not as funny, but I right. see a lot of, I see a lot of kids or I've seen a lot of kids and I'm not talking about my students. Now I'm talking about kids I grew up with who thought that the, the punchline was the cuss word and that the cuss words themselves were funny. And I think that gets to something that I kind of want to talk about is like, I don't quite know how to phrase this properly, but it is, it's hard to tell a joke. It's harder to tell a joke than it looks. Uh, and I think it takes a lot of skill and practice. Um, and and I've I've seen a lot of guys struggle with finding what's funny and figuring out what's actually funny and figuring out how to make other people laugh, but but it's so it's such an addictive thing. Like once you figure out how to get someone to laugh, like oh, it's the best feeling in the world. I think personal opinion. I was about to say for you maybe, yeah, for me. Um, I, I think there is to some extent in any friend group, like those are the best times when everybody's laughing, we're all mm -hmm. cracking jokes. Um, and those, that's great times. I wouldn't say that necessarily any one of us would be considered, you know, the quote unquote class clown necessarily or anything like that. No, no. Uh, but, but what does make you laugh? Let me start. Let's start there. What does make you laugh? I, I think, I mean, it's the same thing as anybody else, a combination of, of timing, really. I, I think that's, that's the, that's the number one thing is timing. Um, you could tell the funniest joke in the world. If you tell it the wrong way, the wrong time, you just sandwich all the lines together. It's not going to be funny. Uh, um, I think the other piece of that is as with any good writing, um, turning, turning ideas on their head or coming up with the unexpected or taking a quick about face, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I find that hilarious. You know, it's, yeah. it's, um, I will say you, you were telling me I hadn't really watched a ton of Jim Gaffigan. I watched some more of his, um, and one thing I noticed he he always did was he would just go for the most unexpected line. Oh yeah, right. Mm -hmm. um, and like he had he had this bit, just or it's it's these lines and these comparisons. Like he had this bit about a bear coming at him. Yeah, and about how the bear probably thought like that he Jim Gaffigan was this giant land salmon. Like <laughs> it's the greatest day ever. <laughs> and, <laughs> there's just there's just ways where he just you know he kind of and then he he kind of hones in on that idea a little bit and he just keeps coming up with the unexpected and you, sh yeah. you should go watch the bit it's hilarious yeah um and i will never do it justice my point that's, being I, that's I, one of the keys of a great joke though mm -hmm. i was listening to another comedian who was talking about his mike berbiglia he was talking about the best comedians when they tell a joke if you try to retell the joke you always mess it up Exactly. And you always it's it's whoever wrote the joke or whoever performed the joke, you have to go see them do it, you know. Right. Because they're the ones who are able to pull it off. Anyway, I interrupt you. Go ahead. Well, I think uh so those are those are the main things, you know, timing and then the unexpected, which yeah. presenting the unexpected, it's all timing again. Yeah. Um and and so I don't know, people talk about like what makes stuff funny. I was looking that up, you know, what really makes anything funny. I mean, no one really knows. You know, Nobody people talk knows. about like it's they like know. fire. We just found it and we've we've well, carried fire, it around. Fire, we totally know how that works though, Banjo. So your analogy okay. completely falls flat. Like Okay. 
smart anyway. guy figuring um, out fire <laughs> you were the guy in the caves who was like no we figured it out like you guys the stones science together. is settled <laughs> here's how this works and all the rest of us were like i don't know which doctor i think we got to knock him out giving out the secrets see banjo you're trying to run away with this and turn it into know, your own stand-up comedy routine i'm not I, gonna I let know. that happen I, we have I, a podcast to, to discuss <laughs> the integrity of this show will be maintained and there you go again careful i promised myself i promised myself at the beginning i said i will not be funny i will not i'm not gonna make this about me you are succeeding so well and then <laughs> the, the egomania came out. It's like it's like the microphone is a magnet. No, but um, the um, with your point to the unexpected, uh, it's it it's so much of what good good humor is irony. It's subverting expectations and just and and drawing connections between like totally unrelated things. Um, but but your joke made me think of uh, Seinfeld has a bit where he talks about there is this. There was these, these uh, invasive moose species somewhere in Canada or something like that. And so they had to helicopter in and pull the moose out of out of the land where it was and take it somewhere else, transport it somewhere else. So his, his joke was it, what it was is you would take the they would take like harnesses, put it down, hook up, you know, hook it under the moose without you know, nobody's down there. It just goes on hooks under the moose and then just starts to carry the moose up into the air. And so he goes. Can you imagine that from the moose perspective? He just is standing there minding his own business. And then all of a sudden he goes, well, I guess I can fly now. I'm super moose. I'm going to go See, and stop go. all moose crime. There you go. <laughs> and, then, and then he goes, and then he's trying to move from side to side a little bit, trying to steer it. And he goes, well, I guess I haven't figured that out yet. I did just get these powers today. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. See, that is legitimately funny. I mean, it's a funny image on it on its own. A moose just being on its face. Up. It's great, right? And he's taking something funny and he's relating it to Superman. Yeah, I, I, exactly. Like that. I don't know why that's hilarious, though. Like, why is it but funny it is. to us? It's. I think it's again combination of of how you tell it, the timing, and then the the actual content being somewhat unexpected, which is why I think people go for the shock value of sexual content and and cuss words. Oh yeah, which. That to say, I, I, I will say I, there are some bits I have found complete, insanely hilarious from folks like Bill Burr and Dave Chappelle, who are known yes. for being yes. very crass. That said, I, I, you could strip down their jokes and tell them in a way without some of the crass. Most I, I really time. think because because most of the time the punchline isn't the crass bit; they just happen to be mm -hmm. crass people telling these jokes. Yeah, and I think there's I think there's two roles for comedians in society. I think one is just getting us to see, and I think these are like the Jim Gaffigans and the Brian Regans of the world, you know, just getting us to see, you know, not to take ourselves too seriously and to start drawing connections between different things, like to see, oh wait, I haven't I hadn't thought of it this way before. Um, the other role I think, which is which is related, the other role of the comedian I think is like the truth teller. Or I often think of them as like the prophets, like somebody like George Carlin, if you've ever seen them. I think Dave Chappelle does this too, mm -hmm. where they look at kind of what's underneath society. They talk about what's kind of underneath society and say, hey, look, we're all pretending that this isn't true. We're all pretending that this isn't there, but it is, and there's consequences to it. You know, uh, like George Carlin had a bit about um, like words and why words are important. 
And so he would go through and he would like list all of these different words that have like changed over the years. So like he was talking about like the origins of PTSD. He says, people come back home from war in World War One, And back then everybody, it was like big words, big, powerful words, shell shock, right? Big words. You can feel them, right? Shell shock. And then you move on. Uh, it gets a little bit farther. You get into to World War Two, And now instead of shell shock, it's battle fatigue, right? few more syllables. It's getting a little bit softer. And then he kind of like takes it all the way to post-traumatic stress disorder. See, it's got the humanity taken right out of it, you know? Right. And so like, <laughs> no more feeling. <laughs> by the time you get to it, you see how we use language in mm-hmm. modern life to kind of mask all of the real meaning in, in, in what is there. So anyway, I think, I think comedians, even like Dave Chappelle and Bill Burr are worth listening to on occasion, not because they tell crass jokes, but because you know, Dave Chappelle is magnificently funny at pointing out the hypocrisy of modern life. Like that's, oh yeah, that's what 100%. he's good at. I mean, that, you were sounding suspiciously like Jordan Peterson there for a minute about the whole profits thing and Dave Chappelle. That's something Jordan Peterson has directly <laughs> said. <laughs> um, which, by the way, I did a see this clock twice a day. There, there you go. Um, I did see a bit pop up in my on my YouTube feed. It was Theo Vaughn interviewing Jordan Peterson, or mm-hmm. I don't know who was interviewing who. Honestly, one's a psychologist. So, um, anyway, they're both <laughs> the, crazy. They're both. <laughs> uh, but it was it was incredible. The that was the interaction itself was funny because right. Jordan Peterson is such a serious analytical person. You know, he he all, he wants right. to walk through everything step by step logically. Th- th- if this, therefore that, et cetera, et cetera. And so Jordan Peterson's talking about, you know, if you have these self-centered thoughts and you're dreaming these things and you're, you're, et cetera, yeah, like he's going down this path. And Theo Vaughn just like, yeah, like if you're worried, one leg's longer than the other, and he just <laughs> leaves it at that. Like, like he gets, it's amazing. I haven't seen Peterson laugh like that before. Just out of the blue, Theo Vaughn just dead serious about the dumbest thing in the world. Just yeah. You know, and that's the, the interaction of these two characters was pretty incredible. It, if you haven't seen it, it's it's worth looking at. I think because it shows, like, they don't even have to be uh, like there there weren't even the, the jokes themselves aren't even that funny. It's just the total contrast of these personalities. Like right. you could not find two more different people. Right. Yeah. But it's incredible yeah. to watch them have this conversation, and I think that's a huge part of it. Is yeah. that is that contrast and unexpected? Kind of what you're saying, writing on the edge, figuring out, oh you know, yeah, pushing that barrier a little bit. The the contrast, the unexpected. I mean, there's. I love like the, like the old screwball comedy from you know like the 70s and 80s, where it's like, um, there's like all these visual gags that that are right. just crazy. Like I remember one. I don't remember what movie this is in, but it's like it's a spoof on a war movie. And in, in the front of the camera, in the front of the frame, you can see like a really big rotary phone. And it's, it's clearly big because it's, uh, you know, it's in the forefront and far away. You can see the, um, you can see like the war room desk where everybody's like gathered around the maps and they're talking and the phone rings and a general turns around and starts walking towards the phone. But as he's walking towards the phone, you realize that the, the, that, he's it's it's not the the image isn't right and then he gets up next to the phone and he picks it up and it's as big as he is <laughs> and they've <That's> just <laughs> they've just fooled you with the foreshadowing and or with That's the amazing. with the foregrounding and i love that kind of contrast because it's so it's just so funny because we know what's supposed to happen there we know right. what 
what that is supposed to be. And then it's just totally broken in the best possible way. You know, like, you know, for all of its warts, like the movie Airplane is like that. I don't know if you've ever seen I've, that one. I couldn't finish it. It, it was too crass or too. Was, uh, no, it just there were the. For one, I sat down to watch it with my wife and not with a bunch of buddies. I we oh, ne- yeah. neither of us had ever seen it, so there's that. Okay. Yeah. Um, and for two, I think there was just something about like the way the jokes unfold. It just maybe maybe if I'd watched it when I was younger, like at this point, everything's been redone. Right. There's and now now that just feels like yeah like the Matrix feels this way. Like the movie The Matrix. We sat down to watch it our first year of marriage, because neither of us had ever seen The Matrix. And we went, mm-hmm. Wow, we can see every other movie since this movie came out, all yeah. the action unfolding. Every every bit of it. Yeah. Unfortunately, that makes this movie look dull and boring now. Right. <laughs> this this right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Uh no, I get it. I get it. And and you're wrong, but I get it. Well, <laughs> You can, I can, I can fully acknowledge the Matrix had a huge impact. I can see how so many movies took influence from it, and I can see how if if I had watched it at the time, I would have thought it was the most amazing thing ever. Yeah, unfortunately, no, I, I, get it. I have since seen Iron Man and Captain America and all the other, you know, everything else that has yeah. drawn on it, John Wick, etc. So, yeah, um, part of the part of the reason that I, this is shifting gears a little bit, but part of the reason I was thinking about this um, challenge was that I've realized how seriously lately I've been taking myself. Like in, in all that I Just do, lately? Just lately. <laughs> well, <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I I get in spots where I'm like, oh, I am the center of the known universe, and everyone's just waiting for me to bloom. That's just it. That's I'm. That's my problem. That's my problem. One of these days I'll bloom, and everything will be solved. You know. Uh, and when you do that, a you're not funny. I mean, people can laugh at you, but they're certainly not laughing with you. Um, and and b like existence gets like awful dreary, awful quick. Because it's like, you know, the weight of the world is on your shoulders. Uh, and I feel like, I feel like somewhere along the way, I, I lost my sense of humor a little bit. Um, and so I was, I was just reflecting on, I, maybe this is more, maybe this is more personal in general, but I, I used to, I used to watch stand-up comedians all the time. That was like a regular occurrence. It's like once a week at least. I'm watching some sort of stand up. It's a lot of comedy. Oh, yeah, I love it. I just I, the writing to me is so phenomenally good. That like what I love is writing that can move you. I don't care if it's sure. writing that makes you cry or like makes you inspired. Like the kinds of things I love to watch are like the locker room speech. You know, the pre war battle the the funeral eulogy you know and stand up comedy which are all kind of the same thing they're trying to bring out this emotion. they're basically identical like yeah, really. John Mulaney at your funeral everything is going to go great you know can, can you could you ask for anything more um, maybe not you banjo but but for me I always I've been getting away from the com the comedy and the comedians and I feel uh I I felt great returning to these things. It it was 
it was a breath of fresh air for me, for someone who's been taking himself too mm-hmm. seriously, like getting to listen to these people whose, whose job it is to not take themselves seriously was really helpful. That's interesting because I, I feel that way with, when I go back and read like Lord of the Rings, which, you know, in this last year I have not spent anywhere near as much time in as I've wanted to. And I sat down and read a few chapters the other day. And I was just like, whoa. I forgot how much I loved this, how much right. I really, really loved this, um, especially as a high schooler and early, early college student. Uh, so I definitely, I, what you're saying about kind of getting away from something that you knew and then you're getting back to it, I think that's that can be a huge part of it. Like there was a piece of identity formed at one point. Yeah. Um, which I hate that yeah. word, but anyway. Well, I mean, in some ways, that's a it's an accurate statement like it was the thing that i i remember i remember the very first time i heard stand up i was like i was like six or seven my parents were driving us back from from some big event and i was driving up lookout mountain in uh in tennessee mm-hmm. and was was going up and my parents it was late at night my parents thought all of us were asleep so they put on a brian regan cd a brian regan set of his of his um stand up have you listened to brian regan you know who that nope. is Oh, I think he, I think you'd like him. He's very funny. Um, very clean comedian. Um, very good. Anyway, from like the jump from like the first lines, I was cracking up laughing in the backseat and just immediately memorized every word that came out of his mouth. Cause it was That's so funny. funny. Yeah. I was like, this is the craziest thing. And then like two nights later, my parents went out on, on a date or something like that. And we had these babysitters and they knew who Brian Regan was. And so I started, I was like seven. I started doing the bits for the high school babysitters. (laughs) That's incredible. And I I was doing the voice and the girls were just cracking up. They were laughing and laughing. And I was like, this is awesome. This is, this is how it works. This is how life works for little banjo. This is it. I can do this. And like a, a core piece of who I was like from that moment. I mean, it was just, that's what it was. It was like, I memorized that CD. I can still right. probably do like 80% of that CD. You probably um, do it all the time without me knowing. Probably. Like, I remember I watched uh, some Seinfeld for the first time, and I was like, uh-huh. this is half of Benjo. Like, literally, <laughs> I, wait a minute. I'm on to him now. <laughs> that's my secret. I go and watch TV from the 70s, 80s, and 90s, download them into my personality because nobody has seen them. And then they're like, Wow. That banjo is really funny and original. I'm not. I just have good resource material. Like, wow, his jokes are really old. (laughs) Yeah. So anyway, that's – it's a really core part to me. And I think because I love comedy so much, I feel like it's important for other people. I I feel like this is something Christian men should have Um, because I think it's just as important as – you know, how to do, yeah, how do you do a job interview well? I think you got to be able to tell a joke well. I was talking about this with my father in law over Thanksgiving. Um, we were grilling the turkey together, which was an adventure in and of itself. Um, but we were, were grilling, enjoying a cigar, some wine. And I asked him, I said, What do you, you know, we're, I would say, we're talking about thinking about uh, comedy this week and how important my father in law is a pastor. I said, How important do you think it is for, uh, for pastors to understand comedy. 
like how how much of a role do you think that plays in preaching a sermon? And he's like, oh, I think it's really important um, because part of telling a joke, there's so much timing and delivery and performance that goes into it. Um, and in order to, to do a joke, well, uh, you, you have to like, you have to master a, what you're writing, B how you're saying it. And like every element of it, like you were saying at the beginning, like you have to get the timing down. That's no accident. Like a joke told well is like a Swiss watch. Um, but you also have to get like every word needs to be in the right place and in the right order, you know? And it should get a result. And part of what I love about telling a joke is that if it's funny, you're going to laugh. And if it's not funny, you won't. Exactly. It's, it's so black People and white. People don't fake that. You can't fake a laugh. I mean, you can, but it's so obvious. You know, right, it's most right. of what you do to me on a regular basis. You you fake the laugh and I know sure, it. Sure, and... Banjo. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, have, I have to make my co-host feel somewhat decent about himself considering well, how down you get. No. <laughs> <laughs> this whole this whole podcast is just Operation Keep Banjo Happy. I will laugh at your jokes for you, Banjo. Oh, don't mind me. I'll get along fine. Well, Eeyore. Could be worse. Don't know how, but it could. Yeah. Pretty much, pretty much. Um, that's me. Anyone who knows me, that's, yeah, it, that's my. You know, what's funny about the, you were saying about comedy being a science. I did hear, this was a while ago. I can't even remember who it was. It was over a year ago. I listened to an interview with the comedian. I'd need to go back and check which podcast it was and you can find it. But the thing that I remember sticking out to me was she was talking about um, how it with her sets at one point, I can't remember if it was her or her husband or someone who is in, you know, more interested in the, the stat side of stuff, right. Went through all of her shows and wrote down like which jokes got laughs, how big the laughs were. They came up with a rating, like a one through five of how big a laugh was from the audience, et cetera. And then just started categorizing all her jokes and then built a set to kind of have a, you know, small joke, small joke, like build up really big right. one. And then small, you know, little, the medium and the build up, you know, there's this, this pattern to it essentially to kind of keep the audience hooked in. And she said, the funny thing was when they started doing that um, and she really got to know it, she knew exactly. Like, she could tell the audience, like if it went well, it, everything was hitting her script in terms of, right. oh, I'm getting my small jokes. Right. And what was interesting to me was she wasn't going for, a big one every single time, right? No, every joke right. is not the funniest joke that's ever mm-hmm. been told. You get a lot of little laughs to lead up to the big punchline. Right. And that punchline is leading up to maybe a bigger one later, right? And uh, in the few specials I've watched, a big thing they do is is the callbacks. And that you're yeah. building everything up as you get to it. And it's this whole, you're weaving everything in. And it's like, I don't know, it's like reading a good essay. Everything's woven yeah. and it's great and it's beautiful and yeah, for by the way, for watching the master of the callback, watch Mike Birbiglia. Uh, his his new special, uh, "The Old Man in the Pool," is especially it. It has one of the best endings of a of a stand up set I have ever seen. It was I was all right. I was floored. I'm gonna have to um, check that out. Uh, I, anyway, I did like I did like uh, what I saw of Birbiglia. He, okay, he yeah. has an interesting style. Um, it's, it is funny. Every comedian has their own just very distinct 
oh yeah delivery style it's so different and like like jim gaffigan looks like like he's like deer in the headlights all the time like the entire time yeah like what is what do you what do you concern he's like always shying back from like i don't know i don't understand what he's scared of but yeah and then and i don't know i, I could go on but it's funny how that how that influences their comedy as well in terms of the timing and delivery yeah yeah well anyway i i that's interesting and i want to get back to that but um aaron sorkin is one of my favorite writers not he's not comedic but he's he's one of my favorite writers and he talks about um any any speech you know any any um any written work that is uh spoken before an audience is he says, he says it has all the qualities of music uh, and so he treats his dialogue in his TV shows and in his movies like music with, with the short note, long note rest, you know, you can, you have to have all of those beats, quarter notes, half notes. Um, he doesn't write it all out, but that's how he treats it. Right. Right. Um, and I think the way that I see stand up comedy is like one long jazz solo in that regard. It's like one person is getting up there and they are using their instrument and they are getting everything out of it by themselves most of the time. Um, and it's all about like, I'm going to do, I'm going to do this joke, but then I'm going to leave a long pause. And then I'm, I'm going to maybe let the audience get to the punchline before I do. Mike Birbiglia does this sometimes where he'll like say a thing and the audience figures out like what's going on and they start to laugh and he like keeps holding on to the pause and they are laughing more and more because he's not actually saying the punchline. He's like building up the tension around it. That's funny, yeah. Almost like a like a like a drummer, like a jazz drummer would just like do the snares and just like keep right, it going, right. keep it going, keep it going until finally you get the riff, you know. Or but somebody like Jim Gaffigan, you know, he kind of has he manages to play like two instruments at the same time because he'll do his his regular joke and then he'll do his like little voice where he makes fun of himself, like, oh, that wasn't funny. You know, that sort of a thing. Right. It's almost like he's doing two things at once. Um, and it's, it's, again, it's one of those things I really appreciate about stand-up comedians is, is the way that they hear speech is music. Like, they know that their voice is musical. Um, they know that they have that effect. Um, and I don't know, I think that's something that especially – you know, anybody who has to get up and speak in front of people, I think that's something for the, that they can learn from a comedian is like, okay, listen to the music, hear, you know, hear yourself talk um, and, and realize that every element of what you do has an effect on people. And I just, I just think that's really it's fascinating. Yeah, I, I don't have much to say to that, but yes, I think you're right. So do you have huh. a joke either like not necessarily a stand-up joke, but like any joke that you love that you've grown up with. Just like any old joke, any old joke. I mean, no, I like there's, <clears throat> or a line that think, your dad said, maybe. No, the, the, the number one, well, the only thing I can recall is my mom used to ask us, uh, you know, when is a door, not a door when it's a jar. Yeah. And we would all laugh. And it wasn't until I was like 14 or 15 that I finally got the joke. And we've been <laughs> saying it for a decade. 
one day you're, you're just I walked going, into the kitchen and open. was like, Mama, that is it it all makes sense now. Everything. <laughs> okay. So like and that's that's one of those things where like that's just the family joke. Everybody always says it. You I don't always know. say that one. But like I, I wouldn't say that I mean that's that's a I mean just a pun. I will say like I do like nothing a good wrong pun. with puns. Nothing. I wrong do with like puns. a good pun. Um, there is this one on a on a. Um, I, I've I've seen this one before, but I saw it again recently on a. There's this flower shop. They always post jokes on their billboard, and they change okay. it once a week. So when we're driving yeah. home from church, we pass this little flower shop, and they've got their billboard up. Um, and the one this last week was um, uh, uh, puns about steaks, a rare medium well done. <laughs> That's good. Right. See, that's, good. that's a good one right there, isn't it? So I thought that one was pretty funny. I like a good pun. I think I think that it's more the the sense of humor, yeah, um, more than it is any one particular joke. Uh, subtle lines. I was thinking. I was realizing. Um, I didn't mention the Andrew Griffith show. Something I grew oh, up on. Classic. Yep. And the comedy there can be somewhat situational. You know, you have Barney, and he he's hilarious, right? He's, he's got his, his hilarious moments. I was watching some of it recently. And realizing Andy himself is the real comedy mastermind. Oh, he's I genius. He's I did great. not realize. Like as a kid, Barney's the funny guy. Mm-hmm. I'm realizing Andy just has all these lines. Like he'll just say something so slightly dry. off, and you're just like, I think that's that's kind of that's what I've inherited from my family more than anything else. Yeah. Um. Anyway, uh, I. Was there a way, place you were going with that banjo, or are you? Do you have something? No. Well, I was just curious because you know I I think just as what are just as like the way that a comedian tells a joke is like oh that's unique to them, you know. Very what much you, so. Yeah. What you find funny is also subjective. You know, it's it's unique to you. You know, so I I think you can learn a lot about a person. And I don't mean like in a psychological way, like, oh, he thought this was funny. It's just like, I think you learn a lot about a person by understanding what makes them laugh and what they think is funny. Um, you know, I think all of my friendships have have required humor. Like there's, there's not, I can't think of a single friend I have where I'm like, yeah, we don't tell jokes. Like we, I'm just, he's like, I think that's always been like a, a gateway into a relationship for me. It's like, if I can make you laugh, then we're going to be friends. Like this is going to work out. Yeah. And if I can't make you laugh, if, if you don't have the same sense of humor as me, it's not going to work. I can tell you that, you know, the people that I have like hard times with where I'm like, I don't really want to deal with that person. It's because it's because they don't have the same sense of humor or they don't have a sense of humor, which is worse. Um, and you know, not that those people don't matter. They matter. They're important. They're important people. But it's just more fun to laugh. You know, my grandfather was has always been like he. Both of my grandfathers really are very very funny. My my dad's dad will like tell jokes, and then my my mom's dad just kind of makes fun of people in like these really great ways. He'll just kind of like say the thing that just is a perfect zing. But my dad's dad told me the first joke I ever remember, and it still kills me. Um, he says, so you have 
five, if I have five dollars in one pocket and five dollars mm-hmm. in another pocket, what do I got? I don't know. What ten bucks? Somebody else's pants on. <laughs> that's a good one. <laughs> I have heard that before. That's that's uh, one of my favorites. It's just so. I mean, talk about like unexpected. Like you, yeah, you yeah. The setup there is so clear, and the payoff is so. It's it's so unexpected. It's it's great. But the joke I love, that I think about all the time is, there's this boy I love. Mm-hmm. I I won't tell any of my hairy dog stories, but those are my favorite. I love the jokes that go on for like 10 minutes. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then have like the dumbest punchline. That kills me every time. I assume then you know the one about the the monk, like the – or the the guy in the monastery. Yeah, that's a good one. I have used that one before. Yes, you have used that. Everyone groans every time. I remember you telling me that joke. Oh, really? You hadn't heard it before that? Uh, I think so. Yeah, I think I think you were the that's first. Funny. Um, by the way, folks should absolutely feel free to send us their favorite jokes. I would love to hear. I will folks, laugh at them. Please send it in the Discord. Do we have a? We have an email. We need an email. We have a Twitter. I account. think there's one on the website. We do have send, Twitter. Send it to our Twitter. Uh, what's our Twitter handle there, JJ? I think just Forging Honor. Forging Honor. Look us up. Uh, we would we would love to laugh this week. Uh, but one of my favorite jokes is says this boy. I probably told you this one before, JJ, but pretend this is your first time. Okay, I'll do my best. <laughs> um, it's not the boy. fifth audience, I swear. <laughs> <laughs> he goes to the summer camp. This boy goes to the summer camp, and it's his first time away from home. Uh, and so he's really nervous, and he goes into the into the lunchroom, lunchtime, and, and everybody's sitting down, and he, he gets invited over to a table. So he sits down with these with these kids. Uh, and he makes friends with this one guy. And so they're sitting there and they're talking. And then all of a sudden, one guy stands up in the back of the room and he goes, 22! And everyone bursts into laughter. Everyone's laughing. Somebody else stands up and they go, 16! Everyone's dying. It's everyone just on the floor. Somebody else stands up and goes, 73! More laughter. Everyone's just cracking up all over the place. And the kid is so confused. He's like, what's going on? So he turns to his, his new friend. He says, What's, why is everybody laughing? What's the deal? He goes, well, so we have a, a, a camp library uh, and it's got all these books, but, but we only have one joke book. So everybody in the camp has read the one joke book and they've all, we've all heard the jokes a million times. So now to save time, instead of telling the whole joke, we just say what number it is and, and that's all. We just move on. Yeah. And the guy goes, oh, that's pretty, that's pretty great. So he, after, after lunch and after free time, he goes to the library uh, and he goes and he picks up the joke book and he looks through it. He finds a couple that he thinks are pretty good. Uh, so he memorizes the number and he, he's all excited. So he goes back to lunch. Uh, he goes back to dinner, the next meal, and he's ready. Everybody's sitting there. It's quiet. There's a lull. Somebody stands up and goes, 65. Everyone cracks up. Somebody else comes around and goes, 47, more laughter. Finally, the kid gets up. He's all excited. He goes, 12, nothing, dead silence. Nobody says anything. He's blushing. He's beat red. He sits back down and he turns to the guy next to him and he goes, what happened? I, I thought I told, I thought that was a pretty good joke. He goes, you didn't tell it right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> See, so that joke, I, 
actually you're not the first one to tell me that first time i heard that joke Mando, <laughs> which that has layers to it the first time i heard it i was like i don't know eight or nine um and i didn't understand the whole concept of timing right right and there was this older gentleman that was a friend of the family and he told that joke only instead of a little boy, it was a man. And instead of a camp, it was prison. <laughs> uh, but uh, I remember being just like this completely like what? And just puzzling over that for ages and ages. And yeah. my dad thought it was pretty hilarious how much I had to puzzle over it. Yeah. Um, it's funny. Yeah. I mean, it's a terrible joke, but it's funny. I think it's great. There's another one. Don, this is um, – Don Rickles was a famous comedian back in like the seventies or whatever. He was friends with Frank Sinatra Mm -hmm. and they were, they were big time guys. So, you know, uh, Don Rickles there is, he's at a a club in Vegas and, uh, Sinatra's coming by and Rickles says, Hey, I'm meeting, I'm meeting this girl, uh, later for, for dinner. Would you, you know, it would really mean a lot if you would come by, it would really, you know, it's really seal the deal if you came by and, uh, and, you know, introduce yourself, you know, because you're such a big star, Frank. It would be such a, it would be such an honor if you came by. So, so Don Rickles uh, goes to the town. Frank says, all right, you know, I'll, I'll do it. I'd be glad to do it for you, for you, Don. I'll be, I'll be happy. So, so Don Rickles is sitting with the, with the girlfriend and Frank rolls up all, all high in my, he's all excited. He, he all the guy, Sinatra, he goes, yeah. All Sinatra. I goes, hey, Don. And then Don Rickles turns around to Frank and goes, get out of here, Frank. Can't you see I'm busy? oh my goodness i thought you'd like that one yeah that's funny that's good so what do you you know we're uh we're we're coming up on the end of the hour do you do you feel like was this just a massive waste of time or did we is there is there something you feel like okay we're gonna we can come away from this challenge as better men knowing this about ourselves or about comedy or i I, I don't think it was a vacation episode it was not a total waste of time banjo (laughs) um forging honor a total waste of time i have a friend uh at the end of random sentences such as it was a total waste of time he likes to tag that's what they said at the alamo Or anything vaguely hopeful. I think it'll work out. That's what they said at the Alamo. <laughs> and I think that's probably my favorite joke, personally. Uh, back, just kind of the favorite joke thing. So in that sense, this whole thing was a bit of a waste of time because I already know my favorite joke, and it's the unexpected, out of the blue, when I'm talking to my friend, that's what they said at the Alamo, after I've just told him my plans for the weekend. I think it'll be... I think it'll be okay. <laughs> That's what they said. At the- <laughs> I tell them, oh, we're going to make just a, a quick trip out to my family's for Christmas. Well, you know, oh, that's what they said at the Alamo. Like, just a quick trip. <laughs> I don't think those are Mexicans. That's what they said at the Alamo. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> anyway. So I, that always lives pretty rent-free in my head, and I use it randomly. Um. So uh, yeah, again, in that sense, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure, I'm not sure how much is to be gained by, uh, um, as you said, uh, dissecting the frog, of all of this. Um, at the same time, I think it is worth at least 
being like, yeah, it's okay to laugh. It's okay to get out there and, and, and poke some fun and laugh at yourself a little bit. Uh, I do think as Christians, it is important for us to have a sense, a, I should clarify, a good sense of humor, because I do think there is a danger for uh, young men, especially to think, oh, Christians old and, you know, these elders in my church or whoever, old and stodgy and never know how to laugh or anything. And I think the, um, and then they react with, well, I'm just going to tell whatever jokes and they go, they go too far sometimes, right? They yeah they make they make the the they make the cuss words the crass stuff the uh the punchlines of their of their life um so a good sense of humor is helpful in that it allows us to distinguish between oh that's that's legitimately funny and and could be edifying and honoring to god versus that's just uh a waste of time the world the world lashing out um anyway yeah and I think with that, you know, we have an opportunity to like, like I was saying, with uh, with the stand up, the, like the clean comics are are able to make jokes that really last, right? Know, that are really able to to have some weight and some carry, um, and yeah, like a joke, a joke that's actually funny. If I tell it now, it should it should really work ten years from now, right? You know, Stephen Wright tells a joke that he that he talks about like that where he says you know it's a you know it's a good joke because it it carries you know it stands the test of time where he says and Stephen Wright Stephen Wright if you've ever heard him he's got this high nasal voice he's from Boston and he kind of really talks high and slow anyway he does this bit where he goes I went to a diner that served breakfast they say they say serve breakfast at any time. So I got a French toast from the Renaissance. Ha ha ha! That was a fake laugh, ladies and gentlemen. There that, you go. Ah, he did not. Ha, ha, ha. That's funny, Banjo. That's funny. See how he hits that second syllable there on funny. That's funny. That's that, that's a that's a giveaway. It wasn't. That's that's a clue. It's time for for this old old show to wrap up. And that's what they said at the Alamo. <laughs> the other one I love is uh, that I still you'll you'll know this I, is one of those things that I stole from my personality. I love it when when um, somebody's making a huge deal out of something. They're like, you know, and I wasn't able to you know get all of the deals that I wanted at the Black Friday thing, and then I do the Jerry Seinfeld. Uh, that's a shame. Just like the total deadpan. deadpan. That's a shame, man. My favorite is when somebody thinks I'm being genuine. When when they don't realize that I'm <laughs> they like, right? Thank you for this, for your sympathy. Oh, I'm, thank yeah. you. I feel like glad I can help. <laughs> yep. But. Well, good. Um, well, I did enjoy this discussion. I will say I'm not sure. Uh, I think similar to last week's episode, I'm not sure going forward what habit there is to be formed out of this. Um or what kind of long-term pursuit other than, yeah, expose yourself to quality, quality material, whether it's good writing or good movies or good, et cetera. Um, so I don't know. Do you, do you have any thoughts on that banjo? I think for me, it's going to, I mean, this is more of a personal habit, but, uh, and I think all of our habits are kind of, you know, take them as you like them, you know, but for me, it's like, okay, I'm going to make it 
not a priority, but I'm going to make sure that I'm, I think for me, stand up comedy is a little like vitamins. Like I should have it in my day somewhere. You mm. know? And if I'm not getting enough, I think I take myself too seriously. I think I don't appreciate, you know, the danger of taking yourself too seriously is that you start to think that you're Nebuchadnezzar and you're like, oh, look at what I have made, you know? Right. I think we need the fools in life to say, hey, you're not such a big shot. Like you're not so important. And I think comedians are also great because I, I love I love wanting to be a comedian because I love making people laugh, not because I want to be the center of attention, but because I, I want to make people laugh. Like that's, yeah. that's my favorite feeling is to laugh. So I want to make other people laugh, you know? So I think, I think at its best comedy is naturally self not self-centered, you know, it's, it's aimed at someone else. Um, so for me, I think there's just little things like that, that I'm going to start taking into the day that I think is like, all right, you know, don't take yourself so seriously. Learn to write a good joke and learn the importance of timing. It's a long pause. <laughs> All right. Go be your own court jester then, Banjo, and we'll see how that works out for you. All right, on to the next challenge. Uh, as a reminder, challenges last for 10 days. That is Monday through Friday for two weeks. They are simple daily tasks to grow us as men. Uh, and this next challenge uh, is of my own, is, is my idea, although I've heard it many, many places, and it's something I've tried to implement in my life before and have failed many times. So um, trying again, it's get up at the same time every day. For some people, that's going to be a piece of cake because they have some place to be every day at the same time. Um, for me, I work from home. I have the luxury of having the option to get up at different times. Uh, and even even on days where I need to go into the office, it's it, there are later days than some other folks. So it, in my ideal world, instead of getting up at you know 7, 7.30 and then starting work at 8, I'm up at like 5 or 6 and and have the time for a workout and a good breakfast and all of that. Uh, banjo thoughts. Uh, well, I feel like I'm getting another freebie. Um, I'm, uh, up at five 30 every day already. So this, this one's going to be a little bit easier for me. I think nice. I, I am going to try and establish a better, maybe morning routine. I, I've, there's mm -hmm. things that I feel like I, I ought to be doing in the morning that would be worthwhile that I'm not. So that's kind of where my focus gonna, is going to be. Um, my recommendation for anyone who's, who's starting out with this, who wants to do it, but maybe is, yeah, not sure how to, how to do it or, or anything like that. I'd recommend picking like a reasonable time. Um, so the, the two not things that I go for, not, not four thirty. the two things that I go for are, uh, in a wake up time are, I think you should wake up early enough that you're able to have the morning you, you should have, if that makes sense. Like if you need a big breakfast, make sure you have enough time for that. You know, if you, if you need 20 minutes for Bible reading or whatever it is you want to do, you should do that or for your run, what have you. Um, but on the other hand, don't, don't kill yourself. Like I have found more often than not that when I try to wake up early, um, and if I, ch if I choose a time that's too early, I'm only shooting myself in the foot. 
because sleep is important and, and those circadian rhythms don't like to be interrupted. Um, it's true. And so like figure out, I think, where's that sweet spot? Like, where should you be for your ideal wake up time? And, and part of that is honestly having a good bedtime. Yes. So I I think that's going to be something I'm going to have to consider, but that's it. That's all there is to it. This has been the Forging Honor Podcast. Music and production is by Elliot George. For more information about what we do or to learn how to get involved, visit our website at forginghonor.com. If you enjoyed the show, make sure to like, subscribe, and give us a rating to bring others into the Forging Honor journey. On our website, you'll find information on how to do the challenges alongside us, as well as links to the many resources we mention in the show. And we do make a small amount from any purchases you make through our website links, so thank you in advance. Thanks for taking the time with us today. We hope you'll take up the work alongside us and join us in the task of forging honor. We'll see you next time.